I thought I'd close with a tribute to my grandmother, Myra Carlisle Landsmark, who, along with her identical twin sister, Mabel Carlisle Walters, would have celebrated their 125th birthday this week. In further tribute to family, the pianist performing the spiritual balm and Gilead is my grandmother's eldest daughter, my aunt, Marjorie Landsmark de Lewis, at the time of this recording, made on a cassette recorder in her home. She was 89 years old. She's now 95. Recently, along with Grandma's passport, I discovered her American naturalization papers and a citizenship book in which family and friends signed congratulations on December 5, 1955. My Lord, what a morning! In Alabama that day, Rosa Parks was in court facing jail for violating segregation's rule. Other blacks rallied around her, sparking the 385-day Montgomery bus boycott that catapulted a young Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to world acclaim. And in New York, my grandmother pledged allegiance to a flag that promised her freedom still denied blacks south of the Mason-Dixon line. Among the messages in my grandmother's citizenship book was this from her eldest daughter. Now you can go to Canada and home at last. Home. I remember hearing Grandma intone that word with a longing that left me in pain. After decades in America, home for her and our family was still her birthplace, the Caribbean Isle of St. Kitts. And so I had come of age, the immigrant's child, an inductee in the integration generation, foot soldier in the army of the Lord, as we sang in the movement. I'd known moments of celebration and separation, disconnection and alienation, and after all that marching forward and sliding back. I was in sore need of healing and renewal. And so, decades after Grandma pledged allegiance to the American flag, worn out by my own struggles in the promised land, I heeded her ancestral call and headed to St. Kitts. The flight is smooth, the landing perfect, the welcome gracious. You are home, my hosts beckon. Ooh, The heat is so steamy I decide to acclimate slowly indoors. From my window, I can see the Caribbean Sea. Over the next few days, I will visit places I've heard of and seen, if only in my mind's eye, all my life. There's the aptly named Sandy Point, the sprite yellow-gold monkeys of Monkey Hill, the Moravian Church where my grandmother and her twin were baptized. There's the bend at Kayon, to which my granduncle Hermie walked shoeless, asserting his religious conversion to Seventh-day Adventism, this to the chagrin of his proper Church of England mother. Stories of family and faith roll forth like tides to mental sand. A century of immigrant longing has made it so. People I don't know have heard the lady from the States, a writer she is here. Tis you the one? Yes, yes I am. Come to church for the fair. I bring my best sugar cake for you. Like the ancient parting of the waters, they have made a place for me at this welcome table. 
the historian in me cannot resist scouring records from the early 1900s to find clues to why and how I have come to be here. The history that stirred my grandparents to pick up roots and head to America opens before me. There are the strikes, the suppressions, the workers' dissatisfactions, the plantation owners' disclaimers, the government report of conditions so intolerable that to improve them would be to risk still greater demands, give them an inch, so to speak. I remember my granduncle Cyril telling me how he'd led a plantation strike, then had to flee for his life in the moonlight. Overwhelmed by the wealth of it all, I choose random newspapers from a stack dated 1916. The archivist assures me there's nothing about blacks in the papers from those days of staunch colonial rule, so I can save my time. But knowing how Grandma was counting the days that year until she could sail, I decide to read the news to feel something of her youthful sense of urgency, how she must have felt, watching and waiting as the clock ticked fast on her dreams. The St. Kitts Nevis Daily Bulletin, Monday, May 29, 1916. I spy the name of the composer, Edward M. Margotson. I knew him as a child, when he was organist at my family church, a review of his concert in fine print. Mandolin solo, Mr. H. Adams. Papa? The St. Kitts Nevis Daily Bulletin, Tuesday, April 18, 1916. This ad over my grandfather's name? Notice, the undersigned will sell at his stall in the public market tomorrow, Wednesday, Greenback Turtle. My grandfather was a butcher? In the States, Papa, my father's father, had a dairy truck, bought two stores, and owned property, as West Indians say of real estate. And yes, I can still see his mandolin nestled into the pale striped liner of its old black case. I held his mandolin, I tell the librarian. I did. She runs to tell the other archivists. Everything stops. They're as thrilled as I am. Not every researcher makes such a fortuitous find. So your grandfather was white, she muses. No, he was black. Mr. Margotson, too. He was black and he owned a business in 1916, she exclaims, stunned. But my God, can you beat that? No, no, I can't. Papa was a musician and a butcher. My grandfather owned a business when most black petitions could barely own the shirt on their backs without white plantation owners finding cause for suspicion. In 1899, my great-grandmother owned her business, too, a land and carriage trade she'd inherited from her father. Who were these people, this black business class of a century ago? And who am I? This 1970s rebel who took to the streets in a rage my great-grandmother would have found unladylike, inappropriate, and thoroughly distasteful. If she had hid my granduncle's shoes to prevent his forsaking the Church of England to go to the wrong church on the wrong day, Saturday, what would she have had in store for me? Me with all my picketing and protesting and letting out my hair in public unstraightened. And yet, her children, the younger generation of 1916, had come to the States, rebels in their own right, in search for a better life, sacrificing everything they had dared to come because they could 
hold such dreams. The aspirations, if not the affirmations, of their elders made possible, perhaps even made necessary, their climb. In their colonized society, they had contributed their dreams and pledged the lives of their children to progress, to freedom, to the future, to me. The arc of my back set against the breeze at Frigate Bay, the waves pulling at my feet. I've been so busy and content in my quest. Only on this last afternoon of my visit do I have time for the beach. I remember seeing my grandmother off on her first trip home to St. Kitts after 43 years. Her eyes dimmed by cataracts. The grandmother in her could barely see when she departed New York. Not so the girl in her who landed in St. Kitts. For months, this Lena maid knew, visited old friends, daily bathing her sore eyes in the Caribbean Sea. When she returned to us in the spring, Grandma had changed. You could see it in her shoulders as she retrieved her hard-won passport at customs. Right-angled, erect, Grandma returned to our embrace, reaching for us one by one. I see you all now, plain as day, she said. In St. Kitts at the neck of the bay, I look into the waters, clean as a mirror, and find my face. I, too, have come a distance of decades, a journey from desegregation baby to finding home. I, too, can see clearer than ever these ancestors of mine. Can they see me standing here, child who carried forth their dreams, bearing calabash of mind and time? What's in the root is in the branches, Grandma would tell us. Let it be so.